It is well known that when you come amongst us, you adopt to many different forms. Oh, do I? To, to Europa, you appear as a bull. <laughs> to Lida, as a swan. To me, in the guise of an old beggar. I beg your pardon, I do nothing of the kind. Oh, but still your glory shines through. Oh, indeed, indeed so, yes, so I should hope. Yes, well, thank you. I'm glad to meet you. Now, if you will excuse me, I must get back to my temple. Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this iconic show from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're discussing the entirely missing story, The Myth Makers, which is our very first reconstruction. I'm your host, and all I ever wanted was to capture a prisoner of my very own. <laughs> my co-host is Guy, who never thought that silly horse trick would actually work. <laughs> Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So you talked me into reconstructions. I guess today we'll find out if you regret your life choices or not. <laughs> <laughs> So this is our very first one, and, you know, I was going to post the links for our listeners to the reconstructions, but it's a little bit shady how you get to them. So I'm just going to say, you know, if you want to watch this yourself, you can go search for it. But honestly, since it's just a bunch of pictures in the audio, you might as well just listen to this podcast because that's, you know, you're going to get the story out of it. And that's kind of what the service we're trying to provide to our listeners, right? Yeah. You don't have to go watch this. You can find out the story from us along with a few jokes and, and such. Although, although with us, you won't get to hear uh, Hartnell's intonation, which is always delightful, I think. That's true. And, uh, and this one thing that surprised me about the reconstructions. I already had an idea that they had a whole variety of photos taken during the filming of the show. What I didn't realize is that in some instances, they have short snippets of live action footage also. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I thought it was pretty interesting, actually. I, I was a little frustrated at the lack of subtitles because uh, mm -hmm. it's nice to have lips moving so that you can sort of follow along. I don't always process spoken text or spoken language real well, and particularly if it's people in British accents. Well, and also, I mean, you're getting different quality of sound. Like one of the things I noticed, especially in the very beginning, is that they were taking different sound recordings people had done. And so some had like a bunch of static in the background and some didn't, mm. and it could be hard to hear what was being said. And so normally, um, I don't use the script for my notes. I just go by what I'm watching. But in this case, I really had to refer to the script because there were just points where it was hard for me to to tell what was being said. Right. I will say, I absolutely enjoyed this more the second time I watched it. Because, mm. you know, we, we tend to watch through once to just enjoy the story and then another time to take our notes. Right. and. The second time, there, and there's probably two reasons. One, I, I'd already seen it, so I kind of had a sense and I could maybe enjoy the story a little more. But also, originally I was watching on my TV in the living room, and, you know, with the speakers, and so it was harder for me to hear things. Mm -hmm. The second time I was at my computer with my headphones, ah. and so I think I was much more engaged, but I definitely enjoyed it uh, more that time. Uh. 
But no, I, I totally appreciate that video. And it's really weird. And I don't totally understand why there'll be like three seconds of video. Yeah. It's like, why would you only have three seconds? You know what? <laughs> I, if somebody went and it was clearly like somebody had recorded their TV screen, right? But you would think mm -hmm. that if you're recording your TV screen, you'd have, you know, the whole episode or five minutes or something, not three seconds. Yeah. Of course, in the 60s, they, they were probably using... Uh, you know, film reels and yeah. and for home use, film reels aren't typically aren't very big. Yeah, I assume it'd be like Super 8 or something, right? Because mm -hmm. that was the, I think that, you know, Super 8 cameras were the big breakthrough, right? Because they were very cheap. And that was how kids would start making their own little horror movies and stuff back in the day, mm -hmm. the way you can do it with an iPhone or something now. So yeah, they probably were, and, and they probably did have very limited amounts of tape available. So personally... I have some general familiarity with these myths. And of course, I've seen many movies and stories and stuff that engage with these myths, but I don't have an intimate familiarity with all the character names and all the this stuff. And, and I think um, after we go through the story, we'll talk about some of the mythological background that informs this story. And I think in, in some cases makes it way more interesting if you know the background, yeah. um, which I didn't until I kind of did some Wikipedia research. Yeah, this, uh, this, it, it, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that this is the Trojan War Doctor Who style. And, um, so there's, a, there's a good bit of history woven into this. And I, I think it's kind of fun how they did it too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's head into episode one Temple of Secrets. <laughs> Well, we start off, the, the TARDIS has landed on a dusty plane. And nearby, uh, even, though, even though the TARDIS has materialized, it's visible, there are two guys bickering, and they don't seem too bothered by its presence here. Um, and it turns out this is Achilles and Hector, who are two of the big characters from, uh, from the Iliad. Or was it the Iliad? Yeah, there was the Iliad yep. and the yeah, yeah. In the Odyssey, I was, I was yeah. get the Iliad and the Aeneid. I have to pause to sort them out. <laughs> well, I'm not clear, but there's the Odyssey, and there's you know at the end of the story we'll get some forward references to the Odyssey, which are right, kind of right, yeah. and to the Aeneid because the Aeneid I actually did know a little bit about because uh, I took high school Latin. <laughs> My teacher uh, told us a few things about that. We'll get to that in time. Anyway, these are these are some famous guys from history, or at least a poem about history. Yeah, it's quite possible they didn't actually exist as living people, uh, but they're at least well-known mythological characters. So Hector, uh, he has killed one of Achilles' friends, and uh, he's rubbing it in now. He's he's taunting Achilles with that. And they're fighting. <laughs> I think part of it may be that the sound might be a little wavery because it was recorded at home and all that. But the, the they're fighting to. I think it's it sounds like trombone music or maybe a deep trumpet, and it just really sounds terrible to me. <laughs> it's almost comical. Out of breath so soon, my lightfoot princeling. Your friend Patroclus led me farther and made better sports. Murderer. Patroclus with a boy. A boy? I felt like here, maybe the reconstruction should have inserted, you know, Brad Pitt shots. Because, you know, I think uh, 
he did the movie where they had this fight. And oh. He was Achilles, I think, or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It could have yeah. livened it up a little. Yeah. <laughs> Inside the TARDIS, uh, the Doctor and Steve and Vicky, they're all watching the fight. And and here's where we see the first uh, little surviving live-action clip. And they've actually, uh, the people who made this reconstruction actually repurposed some live action footage to make it you know appear on the monitor you can tell that we're mostly seeing a still frame but the the right. picture on the monitor is live action and i noticed in other cases they would sort of cut out a character and put them on a background you know no, related no. to what was going on so clearly they did a lot of work to just try to make this you know give you a sense of what was going on even when they really didn't have a photo for it right so the doctor is going to go outside of the TARDIS and ask these fighting men uh, where they've landed. Vicky's worried, but as often happens, the doctor poo-poos her worry, and he tells the others to stay in the TARDIS. So outside, Achilles is talking to Hector about how tough the Greek gods are, and Hector's mocking him. And in fact, he goes so far as to challenge Zeus to come save Achilles. And uh, the doctor emerges from the TARDIS, <laughs> and Achilles uses this distraction to kill Hector. And the doctor scolds him for the killing. You know, doctor doesn't approve of that sort of thing. But Achilles is awestruck. He thinks he thinks this is an answer to his prayers. <laughs> he thinks that this is Zeus, and he says, "In the guise of an old beggar." <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. And the doctor does take some offense at <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he has objections, but Achilles goes on to say, "Oh, but still, your glory shines through." <laughs> and at that point, the doctor says, "Oh, indeed, indeed, so yes, so I should hope." <laughs> a very, a very Hartnellian response. Zeus, the doctor, says he must head back to his temple, which is the TARDIS, <laughs> and. Uh, Achilles insists, though, that he has to come to the camp of Agamemnon. Inside the TARDIS, Vicky and Stephen are watching. Stephen decides to find some appropriate, appropriate clothes so he can follow the doctor. So that we get a view of Troy, the walled city. Right now there's no siege actively going on that we can see, but it's just a still, still shot. The doctor and Achilles are looking at the city when, uh, when Odysseus arrives. Odysseus is kind of an abrasive guy. Abrasive, he's a little boastful, a little abrasive. When Achilles points out that he's killed Hector, who was a who was a big tough guy, Odysseus says Zeus, and Achilles says was instrumental. <laughs> Odysseus is uh, reasonably skeptical that uh, the Doctor is the mighty Zeus. Even though Odysseus and Achilles are on the same side, and they seem to have a certain regard for each other, they still seem to have a very prickly relationship. Odysseus moves to check out the, the TARDIS. Inside the TARDIS, Steve wants to go out and help the doctor, but Vicky hands him a big wrench and says, hide behind the door. Turns out none of that's necessary. Odysseus doesn't go in, but he does make it clear that he's not impressed with this modest temple. The doctor explains it's his traveling temple. <laughs> Odysseus insists that the doctor come along to the Greek camp. Uh, he says maybe 
he can tell some tales of Aphrodite, <laughs> which the doctor says he will not in, not engage in vulgar bawdry. <laughs> Odysseus is being disrespectful to Zeus here, and Achilles protests it, but it doesn't deter Odysseus. He he had doubts about this guy. In the TARDIS, there's a Trojan patrol that just goes by the TARDIS while Steve and Vicky are talking about the doctor's recent abduction. And Vicky seems really delighted that they're in Greece. I guess she's always wanted to go there. That will play a part in the episodes to come. Uh, she really is a big Greece fan. Stephen is going to find the doctor. Vicky's to stay here and rest her ankle. She's got to watch the scanners so that when Stephen returns with the doctor, she can let them in, and she's not to let anybody else in, of course. Yeah, and the implication is she hurt her ankle in their last adventure. Now, you know, they weren't in Mission to the Unknown, and I don't, at the end of Galaxy 4, I don't really recall what state she was in, and I didn't go back and, and mm. check, so I don't know. Maybe she hurt her ankle at the end of that. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't recall at this point. Hmm. But yeah, whatever the story is, her ankle needs rest. <laughs> in the tent of Agamemnon, Agamemnon is arguing with his brother, Menelaus. Agamemnon says Menelaus is drinking too much. Menelaus's wife, Helen, was kidnapped by the Trojans 10 years ago. Then that was, of course, the start of the whole war. Uh, Menelaus says he was glad to see the back of her. Uh, he goes on to say it wasn't the first time <laughs> she'd allowed herself to be abducted. <laughs> yeah, women, am I right? <laughs> to Agamemnon, though, this is a matter of family honor. And uh, Menelaus points out more cynically that uh, he's also concerned about the trade routes that have been affected. And Agamemnon wants to take over Asia Minor. And uh, King Priam of Troy is the uh, the one obstacle to that. Uh, we find out through their conversation that 10 years ago, when the war was just about to start, Menelaus challenged Paris to single combat. Paris was the abductor. He challenged Paris to single combat, but Paris declined, which uh, is, at, at least these two guys view that as a cowardly act. Although Menelaus, his brother, seems to think that he's kind of a coward himself. So Agamemnon is going to challenge Hector now, the, the new big hero of Troy, on Menelaus's behalf. He's not going to give his brother a say in it. He's just going to issue the challenge. But then Achilles arrives and announces he's just killed Hector, <laughs> which momentarily uh, makes Agamemnon a little unhappy. But uh, but he recovers. He's he's it's good news and it's an impressive impressive feat. Hector has been a thorn in their sides. So Achilles tells of the appearance of Zeus and also of Odysseus's capture of Zeus as a prisoner, which displeases Agamemnon, and he summons Odysseus to come account for himself. Back at the TARDIS, we get a very quick little scene of a Trojan so soldier who lays a shield at the base of the TARDIS. We'll see that this is this has a significance, but that's getting ahead of ourselves at this point. But the shield is important. Back in the tent, Odysseus has 
come along as summoned, and he's brought Zeus with him. And Zeus says he's going to demonstrate his uh, godly knowledge by revealing the shocking truth that Agamemnon's wife is cheating on him. It turns out, (laughs) however, that except for Agamemnon and Menelaus, everybody else already knows this. So it's not really that impressive a demonstration. Odysseus is convinced the doctor is a spy, and he wants him dealt with. But Achilles is going to intervene, but the doctor says, no, no, leave him. Don't try and kill him. Victory is in sight. The doctor says he can almost guarantee that victory is in sight because, of course, he knows how the Trojan War ends. So the doctor wants to know how he's going to be treated. Agamemnon has to think about it because, uh, as the doctor says, killing him now will probably cost him the war if he is Zeus. Um, But on the other hand, if he's a spy and they don't kill him, that could cost him the war. So he's going to put him under arrest for now, which is exactly the same thing he was just irritated with Odysseus for doing. But he's going to give him a nicer grade of arrest, at least. (laughs) The doctor says, but I must return to my my temple. (laughs) So Agamemnon invites him to sit down and have a ham bone, and we get uh, among the production stills was a picture of the ham, which was good to see. And then we get a couple shots of the doctor eating the ham with with enthusiasm, (laughs) as we would expect from him. Stephen approaches the camp now, and he lurks and skulks for a bit, and uh, Odysseus has a little friend, the Cyclops. He's a guy... One of his eyes is always closed. And the Cyclops has spotted Stephen, and he's reporting, but he can't talk, so he has to sort of gesture and, you know, use his own little language to communicate with Odysseus. But Odysseus does understand it, whatever communication he's, he's doing. The Cyclops reveals this is another stranger from that same traveling temple, and now he's Now he's in the camp, and the Cyclops thinks he's the enemy. So Stephen is confronted by Odysseus, and he says he's just a traveler. Uh, He lost his way and saw the lights of the camp here. Odysseus makes a little joke, you know, with all the Zeus stuff going on. He says, at least you're the god Apollo to walk invisible past sentries. Hmm. When Stephen says he didn't see any sentries, Odysseus replies, then perhaps they are sleeping with a knife between their ribs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they're uh, they're going to the tent uh, where where the doctor is feasting, and uh, they're going to find out what's what. In the tent, Odysseus presents his prisoner as the god Apollo. <laughs> he says, Achilles, will you not worship him? He is a Trojan spy, but of such undoubted divinity, he must be spared. <laughs> so Agamemnon is... Uh, irritated. He says, take him away. And he, Agamemnon wants, wants Stephen's tongue to be cut out for insolence. Odysseus suggests putting him to death. And the doctor says, I think it would be much safer on the whole. <laughs> but Odysseus, now, you know, we don't, we don't see the live action, but presumably Odysseus makes a move to kill him right on the spot. The doctor tells him to stop. He says, have you lost your senses? The doctor claims this man, he says, is a sacrifice to Olympus. Mm -hmm. So they're to bring him to his temple 
to the TARDIS in the morning, and he's going to show them a miracle. He's going to strike him with a bolt from heaven. Now the Cyclops is dragged in. Agamemnon's men have seen him lurking around, and Odysseus points out that this is his little servant. And he explains why he can't speak. He says, for once he spoke too loud for comfort and stammered on a knife. <laughs> Odysseus turns to the doctor. He says, uh, our weather is so unpredictable. If there's no thunder on the plane, that is, if the doctor doesn't call down lightning from the heavens to smite Stephen, he says, I have a sword will serve for two as well as one. And he goes on to say that the temple, as you call it, has disappeared. The doctor says, disappeared? And we get a very funny still photo of the doctor. He has, a, he has pursed lips. He's looking very concerned. This is a, an event he was not counting on. And now we see that Trojan shield that was lying against the TARDIS earlier, now it's lying alone on the ground where the TARDIS was. So presumably it was like a salvage marker or something as they bring this back. And that's the end of the episode. So, next up, Small Prophet Quick Return. <laughs> so, the creators actually wanted to use joke names for most of the episode names, <laughs> but the BBC <laughs> wouldn't let them. They just let them have this one title. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one, though. Yeah. <laughs> So after the recap about the TARDIS slash temple disappearing, we see a pair of footsteps in the sand. And it just, it made me think of that uh, parable, you know, when there were one set of footsteps, I was carrying you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, uh, you know, I didn't realize this until, oh, sometime in the last year, I guess I discovered it. But I don't know if you remember Buckner and Garcia from the 80s. They did Pac-Man Fever and they... They had a whole album of video mm. game themed songs, and I really enjoyed it. I used to listen to it a lot. It turns out that they actually wrote a song, I think it was in the early 70s, that was based on this story, and it became kind of a one-hit wonder, I guess. Mm. So, uh, and if you if you listen to it on YouTube, it's um, it's it's neat. It's very very 70s. <laughs> but it's fun. So they're now at the former location of the TARDIS and Cyclops is holding the ISET plate, but I guess you're probably right that it's a shield that had been placed in front of the TARDIS. And Agamemnon wants to know where it's gone and the doctor is flummoxed. Now I'm going to mention that through most of my part of this, I mean, the Cyclops guy, you know, the one-eyed guy, he shows up a whole lot of times in the story but as near as I can tell, he has no impact whatsoever. So <laughs> I just stopped mentioning him. I mean, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> if, if So he keeps showing up and observing things and you think that's going to come to something and it never does. And so if it had come to something, then I would talk about it, but it just felt like, you know, a little uh, red herring or whatever. Anyway, I don't spend time on it. Yeah. Uh, but, the doctor is confused about the TARDIS being gone. He's like, well, you know, all these sand dunes look the same. But that's <laughs> actually the really smart idea in the story of them having that shield there because that, sh you know, shows, yeah, no, this is where the TARDIS was. There's no question about it. Right, right. 
One thing I wanted to mention about the Cyclops, and I, I could be wrong in this, but I'm thinking it would have been nice to see him in live action because I almost got kind of a Flatoxel vibe from the, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the still shots. So I would he might have been a fun character to watch, but uh, it's lost to history now unless something turns up, I guess. Mm. So they all look at that set of footsteps, and, which lead off to Troy. And Odysseus insists this proves the doctor's a spy. Because, you know, his temple has been taken to Troy. Odysseus has Stephen brought forward and tells the doctor to prove his godliness by throwing a thunderbolt or something to kill Stephen. (laughs) And the doctor attempts to get out of it by saying he can only do the sacrifice within his temple. And darn, the (laughs) temple is gone. (laughs) Yeah. And then, kind of weirdly, but it's interesting, the doctor admits that he's not actually Zeus and that Stephen is his friend. And Agamemnon responds by having the doctor seized and tied up. (laughs) There are some points throughout these episodes where some of the logic is a little convenient or some of the story (laughs) evolution, you know, kind of goes just the way the writers would want it to, you know, so uh, it happens uh, here and there, but still a fun story. Those damn writers always making things go the way they want it. (laughs) Yeah. So Agamemnon tells Odysseus to kill the prisoners, and he leaves. You know, that classic, okay, I'm now going to leave. You take care of these people. Yeah. <laughs> like Dr. Evil. What? I'm just going yeah, to exactly. assume it all went to plan. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Stephen is, for some reason, even though they're about to be killed, Stephen takes his time to tell the doctor that Vicky must have dematerialized the chartist. And the doctor insists that she couldn't have. And he says, as I told you last night, now we didn't see that, so I don't but um, Odysseus now, instead of killing them, he demands that they tell him who they really are. <laughs> and this is really funny. And Stephen says, well, it's going to take some time. <laughs> <laughs> and we now switch to the TARDIS, which is sitting by some stairs at the base of a temple. And what we're supposed to be seeing here is soldiers taking it off of a cart that was used to bring it here. Mm. But we just get this picture of the TARDIS. And Paris sounds a trumpet to dismiss the soldiers, which annoys his father, Priam, who would rather be napping. (laughs) But all this noise has woken him up. And Priam wants to know if Paris has avenged his brother Hector yet and killed Achilles. And Paris says Achilles stayed in his tent, afraid to face him. Priam isn't happy about this, and he tells Paris he should go wait until Achilles comes out of his tent. (laughs) One thing that we... We see here and in the time to come is that Paris apparently doesn't impress a lot of people you know, with his <laughs> martial prowess. Mm. Yeah, he's a loser, <laughs> and, and everybody knows it. So Priam now sees the TARDIS, and he wants to know what it is, and Paris proudly says he captured it from the Greeks. <laughs> and Priam is not impressed. He said, you know, they, they were probably glad to see the back of it. <laughs> and he wants to know what it is, and Paris thinks that, that it's a shrine of some sort. <laughs> we now see a few seconds of Vicky inside the TARDIS, and she's watching what's happening on the monitor. Paris wants to put the TARDIS in the temple, but now Cassandra, the priestess, shows up, and she scoffs at him. He's not putting that crappy thing in her temple. <laughs> I think it's all funny that they think this TARDIS is just the rabbiest thing ever. <laughs> That's a little beat up. <laughs> yeah. So 
Priam tells Paris to bring back Achilles' body if he wants to do something actually useful. <laughs> He's very insistent on the old, you know, Avenger brother thing. Right. And Cassandra says, then take the TARDIS with you, <laughs> or the, the temple. You know. uh, Paris begs to have it left here in the square as a monument to his initiative, as after all, it's the first trophy they've captured since the war started. <laughs> and this is really interesting to me. Mm. Cassandra believes the Greeks allowed him to capture the TARDIS so he would bring it into Troy because she had a dream of the Greeks leaving them a gift, which they bring into Troy, and at night soldiers come out of it. And it's really funny because, of course, she's saying exactly what will happen. And could this be foreshadowing? You know, if only someone would listen to poor Cassandra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's there's two things that I may as well bring up here as as well as anywhere else. First, I thought for a little while after this, well, probably until we see other evidence, I, I figured it was going to turn out that the TARDIS was, was the Trojan horse. And, you know, through history, it evolved from a portable temple into <laughs> the horse that we've heard <laughs> of today. <laughs> and that's not what happens, but, uh, but I, I think the writers probably hoped we would see the figure that was yeah, that, that was would be an interesting twist actually yeah and uh and the other thing is that cassandra's character is interesting now i don't know i i'm not i don't have the historical literacy to know how she's been de depicted through history but i've always thought of her as more of kind of a sad tragic figure like maybe it's because abba had a song about her that makes her seem very <laughs> very sad and pathetic But here she's a real ball buster. So yeah. it's it's. I was surprised by the portrayal. It's it's good portrayal, but uh, different than I would have expected. So Priam wants proof that no one is inside the TARDIS, but the doors can't be opened. So he grabs Ferris's sword and tries to pry it open. Cassandra wants to burn it as an offering, and she says, "If someone's inside, then that's just a bonus to the offering." <laughs> yeah. And Vicky is in the wardrobe room of the TARDIS, desperately trying to find a period-appropriate clothing, and she's looking at, like, spacesuits and, you know, other yeah, things. Yeah, I think one, yeah. one thing that they do, uh, which is very nice uh, in these reconstructions, or at least this particular series, there will often be a little marquee along the bottom of the screen explaining what actual action we're not picking up on from the still images and it mm. mentions some of the, it even mentions, uh, you know, she looks at like a flapper costume and mm. stuff like that. So back on the plane. And by the way, I'm going to say about this plane, you know, they just refer to it as a plane, you know, it's supposed to be this big open space, probably miles and miles long, but mm. anytime somebody's on the plane, they find whoever else is on the plane. It's kind of a magic <laughs> little thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Stephen is uh, finishing up his explanation of them as time travelers to Odysseus and how they're here by accident. And then he throws shade. He says, 
it's just another miscalculation by the doctor. <laughs> and the doctor takes offense, saying that it's remarkable that he landed them on Earth, given all the eternity to choose from. He makes this excuse a lot throughout the series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Odysseus orders them to sit down, and he says their story is probably true, or they'd never have dared tell it. That's <laughs> so like, yeah, this is such a stupid story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it strikes me, and they make use of this here, right, that ancient folks probably would have an easier time believing in time travelers than us sophisticated modern people, right? Because <laughs> it fits into their whole model of the gods and everything else. So yeah. they really don't blink uh, multiple times here where when they're told that, oh, I'm from the future and I'm a time traveler and all that. Mm. Now, I don't really understand this because seconds after he had them sit down, <laughs> Odysseus orders them to stand up. <laughs> okay, whatever. And he says he might release them, but they must use their supernatural knowledge to devise a scheme in which the Greeks captured Troy. And he'll give them two days or else. <laughs> it's like, well, hmm, I wonder what scheme they're going to come up with. <laughs> So back at the main square in Troy, they're piling branches around the TARDIS to burn it, and one of the priestesses yeah. is pouring some oil on the branches. And the 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 still shots that we have, it's kind of a meager little bonfire in their building, <laughs> it looks like. It's not terribly, terribly impressive. Yeah, it wouldn't have actually hurt the TARDIS, so, you know. Yeah, I guess it's fireproof. Yeah. But Paris suggests that if the TARDIS contains treachery, it could be an insult to offer it to the gods. And Priam reluctantly agrees with them, and he asks Cassandra to check in with the gods because she's the priestess. <laughs> she's annoyed, but she looks up to the skies and calls out to the gods asking for a sign. And Vicky steps out of the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> and they query Vicky about who she is, and she says she's nobody of importance, just someone from the future. <laughs> And the way they take it is that she can predict the future, right? Mm. It's like a priestess would. They don't really seem to think she's actually from the future. Mm, yeah. And I love this part. Cassandra wants to know if she's some puny pagan goddess of the Greeks. <laughs> and Cassandra, as a priestess, is offended at the idea that Vicky might be able to divine the future. She's yeah. clearly such a pathetic creature. How could she... Yeah, stand up to a priestess, and that's what Cassandra is known for. That's her. That's her gimmick is being yeah. able to know what the future is bringing. With that little problem that she's been cursed that no one will listen to her. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is what it's like to be a libertarian. <laughs> you tell everybody what's going to happen, and nobody listens to you. <laughs> yeah, the the two phases of history: the what could go wrong, and how were we to know. <laughs> <laughs> While everybody else is being mean to her, Priam takes Vicky's hand and speaks to her kindly. She explains that she doesn't have to prophesy the future since she's actually from the future. <laughs> <laughs> Cassandra immediately wants her killed, but Priam reassures Vicky that she won't die a moment before he says so, which is very comforting. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so she tells him that her name is Vicky. But he finds this to be an outlandish name, <laughs> totally unacceptable. <laughs> so he renames her to Cressida, which, you know, kind of rings a bell. <laughs> and he invites her in the palace to get something to eat. 
And Paris wants to go in to get something to eat because he's hungry. <laughs> but Priam tells him he should go kill Achilles by nightfall. <laughs> so he's just really annoyed that Paris hasn't avenged his brother yet. Yeah, then I can have some supper. <laughs> yeah. And Priam believes that Cressida is going to bring them luck. And Cassandra insists that instead she will bring nothing but doom, death, and disaster. <laughs> and once again, she's totally correct. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, seeing Cassandra in this, probably most of the people not listening to her is just because she has such a lousy attitude. <laughs> if she tried, yeah, she's a jerk, yeah. Tried yeah, to, true. you know, catch more flies with honey and all that. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> So now we're back with the doctor and Stephen, and they are brainstorming ways for the Greeks to defeat Troy. And Stephen suggests that old wooden horse trick, but the doctor rejects it. <laughs> he says, that story was obviously absurd and impractical. It was made up by Homer. <laughs> so he's not going to suggest that because it wouldn't actually work. Odysseus comes in and wants to know if they have a plan yet. And the doctor says he has some conditions. Vicky must be spared. <laughs> and Odysseus points out very practically that when they enter Troy, he can't stop every woman he finds and asks if she's a friend of the doctor's. <laughs> uh, you know, he's just got to kill them. <laughs> yeah. And now a messenger comes in saying that Paris is here asking to fight Achilles, and Agamemnon wants Odysseus to go do it instead. <laughs> Odysseus refuses. But Stephen says, you know what? Let me go do it, because I want to go to Troy and save Vicky. So I'll fight Paris and I'll allow him to take me prisoner. And Odysseus decides to allow it as he sees Stephen as being of little particular use. Yeah. And he says, you know, my friend Diomedes died recently. I'll let you take his armor and his identity. And this is going to be very interesting, mm -hmm. especially once we talk about the mythology here. Yeah. And now Odysseus wants ideas from the doctor. And the doctor suggests, well, why don't you try tunneling? <laughs> Odysseus is like, oh, God, we've done that. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. And then the doctor says, well, how about flying machines? Have you tried that? <laughs> but he's like, no, that's new. <laughs> and we're now on that plane. And Paris is there in armor calling for Achilles to fight him. Because as I said, you go out in this plane with miles and miles of space around you and people are just going to find you. <laughs> it's like an old text adventure. You, know, you move one location and now you're in the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And the funny thing here is at first he's really yelling for Achilles, but then he starts whispering and you realize maybe he doesn't really want Achilles to find you. <laughs> But Stephen shows up and offers to fight him. And Paris says, no, he only wants to fight Achilles. But Stephen says it should be enough that he's Greek and Paris is a Trojan, so they should be able to fight. And he also insults Paris by calling him an adulterer because, as you mentioned, it was Paris who eloped with Helen and started all this thing, this war that's been going on for 10 years. Mm. And Paris says he'll ignore that insult. And he feels this whole business has been carried on a bit too far, that the Helen thing was just a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> but Stephen insists on fighting anyway. So Paris is really trying to get out of <laughs> fighting yeah. anyone who isn't Achilles. <laughs> and they fight for a bit, and then Stephen lets himself lose. And <laughs> Paris is about to kill him when Stephen yields and wants to be a prisoner. <laughs> this really confuses Paris because it's not how this is supposed to work. <laughs> He says, this sort of thing is just not done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
As Stephen said, he should have listened to his friends who said they'd rather face Hector and Troilus together than the mighty Paris, as he is unconquerable. And Paris is surprised and admits they don't even say that about him in Troy. <laughs> yeah, so a little flattery. Uh, Paris doesn't get a lot of flattery that we can see. Yeah. So yeah, he, may, he could be very well be vulnerable to that. So the flattery convinces him. He tells Stephen to pick up his sword and they head off toward Troy. And I'm going to say... This whole scene was really funny, and the, the actor who played Paris did a really good job. You can tell from the voice mm. that we get. I mean, he really plays his character well, and the jokes really work. Mm. And, There's you know, yeah. Quite a quite a bit of humor throughout these episodes. Uh, you, you mentioned that they, the writer or writers originally wanted to give every episode a funny name, and that... Uh, uh, I wonder if they were held back in other ways actually writing the scripts. Yeah, the writer is Donald Cotton, who's done a number of the other uh, historicals, yeah. Hmm. So back in Troy, Cressida has finished her meal and tells Priam it was delicious. And she's surprised Priam can have such luxuries like this kind of food while he's under siege. And he says his nephew Aeneas attacks the supply lines and brings some things. He's part of their cavalry. Cressida says she didn't know the cavalry was invented yet. <laughs> Priam points out that they are horse people who came from Asia and they worship horses. I'm just going to say if they came from Asia, they're very white looking. <laughs> 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 anyway, the whole worshiping horses thing could become important. We'll see. Cressida asks about Priam's son, Troilus, who she has heard is very handsome. So Priam wants to know what Cressida remembers about this war in case it'll be helpful to him. And she's about to tell him about the Trojan horse legend, which could be useful. Yeah. But before she can, Paris barges in and says he's captured a Greek. <laughs> <laughs> and Priam is annoyed to be interrupted. But Paris brings in Stephen, who sees Cressida and calls her Vicky, and she calls him Stephen. And now Cassandra shows up and points out that. Cressida called herself Vicky when they found her, so clearly she knows Stephen and must be a Greek spy. And she calls the guards to kill Vicky and Stephen, and it's the end of the episode. <laughs> Next up, death of a spy. And since we know that Vicky is a, and Stephen are spies, then presumably one of them is going to die. So the show starts off with a recap, as usual. And then uh, in Priam's palace, after, after Cassandra has given the order to, uh, to kill the spy, Paris says the guards should sheath their arms, and he asserts himself. He says she's, it's not her place to give orders to the military. He's in command. And Cassandra complains to their dad, and Priam says... It's quite refreshing, actually, to hear him <laughs> stand up for himself. He says, it seems there's a man lurking behind that flaccid facade after all. <laughs> <laughs> so Parrish introduces his prisoner and says his name is Diomede, and uh, he's a big guy in the, in the Greek rosters. And uh, Stephen flatters him some more. He says, which <laughs> none, none but you could have caught, O Lion of Troy. <laughs> He's really, really selling it. 
so Priam says to Vicky that uh, he wants her to use her supernatural powers to turn the tide of battle in our favor. He's very bored with being penned up in Troy for 10 whole years. <laughs> it's been under siege. But Cassandra, she says, you will be burnt as a sorceress, a false prophet, and a spy. And Priam says, well, as one of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if that's if she doesn't turn the tide of battle in their favor. So he's going to give her one whole day to decide what she's going to do. And he orders both Cressida, or Vicky, and uh, Stephen, or Diomede, to be sent to the dungeons. And he says they're quite comfortable. He often spends an hour or two <laughs> down there himself. Uh, back in the tent of Agamemnon, or maybe it's Odysseus's, it's some military tent. The doctor is uh, folding a paper airplane, a parchment airplane. Actually, I'm not. I'm not sure if parchment folds that well, but we'll we'll go with it. So the doctor says it's a flying machine, and Odysseus says it looks like a parchment dart to him. He says this boy makes those to annoy his tutors. Yeah, what I thought was funny about this is I think the doctor saying he's going to wow him right with this technology. You know, he's creates this little paper airplane and it's going to be amazing. And the guy's like, yeah, my kid makes that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the doctor's vision is uh, more expansive than this little paper airplane. Uh, he wants to make big airplanes along the lines of this. And each of them can carry a man over the walls of Troy right into the city. Yeah. And, and I don't quite get how he, told Stephen that a wooden horse would be impractical, but he's thinking that, you know, airplanes will be practical. <laughs> <laughs> I would, to, to give him the benefit of the doubt, I would, I would guess that he probably knows that and he's stalling for time, but I <laughs> could be wrong. But the doctor does go on to say that even a child could operate it. And Odysseus is glad to hear him say that because... The doctor is going to be the first man to try it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's funny because there's a difference here between the doctor's expression and what he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he doesn't have all the confidence that he's been expressing. In the dungeon, now this, the dungeon scenes in this episode, there's a lot of talking in them and 80% of the talking is just space filler as far as i can tell i mean like we've got vicky and steven bickering pointlessly over you know why they're in this mess and all that stuff and it's just that's it's stuff we already know so i didn't bother detailing <laughs> it. and uh he reminds her finally that she has one day left because she seems she's seeming pretty blithe about their prospects. Uh, and he says she's got one day to figure out how to save the city and defeat the Greeks. And he points out that Cassandra is really down on her also. So she's got that working against her. Vicky says uh, that Paris and his brother Troilus will insulate her from Cassandra. Troilus likes her, and she says, I like him. So uh, it's a whirlwind romance shaping up here, I guess. And then there's a noise, and Vicky says, what was that? And it's somebody throwing stones at the window or at the bars. You know, with the, uh, with the still pictures, there's some ambiguity over exactly what's going on. But uh, it turns out the Cyclops was trying to get their attention. 
And uh, Stephen talks to him, and while the Cyclops can't talk, he can hear just fine. So Stephen tells him to go and uh, let the Greeks know that Stephen has found the other friend, Vicky, that they were looking for, and they've got to hold off their attack until the day after tomorrow, because if the attack comes before then, both Steve and Vicky will be killed. And he's still trying to give instructions when they're interrupted by the appearance of Troilus. Now, Vicky is, is being kept separate from Stephen. They're close enough that they can talk, but they're, they're in their own respective areas. Troilus is, is a little suspicious because uh, he thinks that Vicky was talking to Stephen, and she says, oh, no, I was just watching. Um, Troilus is a little bit jealous. We'll, we'll mm. get a few instances of that. But he brought her some food. Back in the tent with Odysseus and the doctor, Odysseus has half a company of men standing by to make this wacky flying machine. And the doctor says, dismiss them then. <laughs> I'm afraid this machine isn't going to work. He explains he's made a mistake in his calculations. He says, yes, yes, I'm afraid we must face up to it, Odysseus. Man was never meant to fly. <laughs> says the guy who jaunts around the universe in his TARDIS. <laughs> Odysseus says that's a shame, and uh, if the machine won't work, though, he proposes to fly the doctor without it. <laughs> he says, my catapult is ready. So the doctor comes up with another plan, and I'm sure he's just been resisting this like anything because he already says it was a stupid plan, but it's all he's got. So he says they need to build a huge horse about 40 feet high. <laughs> and uh, they build it hollow, fill it with soldiers, and leave it on the sandy plain for the Trojans to capture it, he says. And Odysseus, fortunately for the doctor, Odysseus actually warms up to it pretty fast. He says, it's just possible the Trojans will come out and take the horse back into the city. The doctor adds, and the Greeks pretend to sail away. So Odysseus uh, seems like he's pretty on board with it. Back in the dungeon, Troilus is visiting with Vicky, and he's explaining that he's 17, his next birthday. Vicky mm. says, that's hardly any older than me. She says, uh, you shouldn't be killing people at your age. <laughs> and he says he doesn't really enjoy killing, but he does love adventure. And uh, mm. you can't really see her eyes light up because of the still pictures, but uh, you can hear it in her voice. She says, yes, I know what you mean. Uh, mm -hmm. Both adventure lovers. So in Agamemnon's tent, Menelaus is there, and he's listening to Odysseus's proposal. He says, horses don't grow as big as that, do they? I mean, even the great horse of Asia that the Trojans worship. And Odysseus says, well, that doesn't exist, so we're going to build them one. Hmm. And Agamemnon says, what if they set fire to it? The doctor says, well, it's a risk, but I don't think they'll want to destroy one of their own gods. <laughs> Once the... Trojans have closed the gates behind the horse and taken it into the city. And during the night, Odysseus says they're going to open up the gates to let everybody in. Everybody will have a good time. So back in the dungeon, Troilus and Vicky are still talking, getting acquainted. He doesn't see how she can be friends with Stephen. She's fessed up that they are friends. And she says, when you come from the future, you make friends with a lot of people. And he's one of them. <laughs> Troilus, uh, Troilus says, I see. 
But uh, it ends up that what he's really concerned about is uh, that they may be uh, in love, and that would be bad news for him because he's falling for Vicky. He doesn't say that part, of course, but. Is it in any way special? You know, are you guys doing that? You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he says, Well, that's because I was, I mean, that's what the others were worried about. <laughs> Outside the city, the Cyclops is trying to get his message to the doctor, to Odysseus. And this is another one of those instances where, uh, like you say, everybody meets here on the plane. <laughs> Paris and his guards are here. Paris orders the Cyclops to identify himself. And, of course, the Cyclops, we've already established, can't talk. So one of the soldiers just kills him without ceremony. And um, Paris isn't happy about that, but it's a done deal. And that means that the message the Cyclops was delivering is not going to get to the people who need it. Another little wrinkle here that may confound everything. On the plane... Outside Troy, with Odysseus and the doctor, the doctor seems to be having second thoughts about his second plan. Odysseus ribs him a little. He asks if he has no faith in his own invention. The doctor says, I just, I just didn't like the look of those fetlocks. They've no safety margin at all. <laughs> Odysseus doesn't want to hear about it, though. The doctor is coming along in the Trojan horse with the other invaders. So that'll be fun. Back in the dungeon, there's a very brief scene. Stephen makes a lame escape attempt. He, he knocks one guard out, but there's three more waiting for him. So he gets put back in abruptly. Vicky says she told him it wouldn't work. Just a little scene. Yeah, I, I guess showing us that Stephen is willing to make an effort at least. Mm. Nothing comes of it. Inside the Trojan horse now. Odysseus is talking to the doctor some more, and uh, he's, the doctor's fidgeting, and uh, he says, Upon my soul, you're making me as nervous as a Bacante at her first orgy. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor says he's never felt less like sleep in his life. He thought he saw some movement down there, and Odysseus says that's what he's supposed to see. I mean, that's what we're hoping. He's a pretty lot mm -hmm. of fools, he says. We'd look if we... Come here, and nobody takes a damn bit of notice of us. And uh, that struck me as somewhat interesting that, you know, for a nominally a children's show in the 1960s, I, I, I would imagine damned is a word that wasn't used a whole lot. <laughs> well, I'm thinking orgy, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, although you, you would hope that the we school kids wouldn't even know what they yeah, right. <laughs> Nowadays, you could probably not make that assumption. <laughs> So on the the plane outside Troy, the Trojan soldiers are carrying torches. I may as well mention here, since I didn't already, that I took a, a lot of my notes today from uh, the scripts that are on Chrissy's transcripts page, which I've mentioned before, and it's a neat labor of love, so I want to give it credit. Hmm. In the Trojan dungeon, Troilus has arrived with some news for Cressida. The Greeks have gone, he says. The whole fleet sailed. They've all gone home. The war's over, which is a uh, yeah, little bit of a <laughs> jump to conclusions there. <laughs> so he's releasing her. And his father, uh, Priam, he's terribly pleased with her, he says. And he thinks it had something to do with her, and that's the main mm -hmm. thing. 
Priam seems to think she brought them luck. Now, Cassandra, on the other hand, he says Cassandra is furious about it. But it doesn't matter because she's completely discredited now. <laughs> and as for Diomede or Stephen, he says, do you think you can fight the whole of Troy on your own? Troilus says this to him. Stephen says he doesn't want to fight anybody. Troilus says, well, that's just as well. You're the last of the Greeks now. Your friends have sailed mm -hmm. home without you. So this is an instance of what I mentioned earlier about how sometimes the, the writers come up with convenient plot twists, you know, with Diomede can be let out because he's no harm to anybody anymore. <laughs> All right, sure, whatever. <laughs> Inside the horse, Odysseus tells everybody to observe absolute silence because the move is underway. The Trojans are wheeling it back to the city. And I'll have some more stuff to say about the horse a little later. But uh, mm. uh, to be brief, it's uh, it's pretty well done, I think. I'll give a big mm. bigger description of it later. In Priam's palace, Vicky and Troilus have gone to see the king. And the king is happy because the war is over. And Cassandra's being the sour lemon in the whole deal. We didn't tell you because it's some form of treachery. She says, don't trust her father. <laughs> Priam says, oh, go and feed the sacred serpents or something. <laughs> Paris says, he thinks he's just found the great horse of Asia. And he points from where they are in the palace, they can see the plain and they can see this great horse of Asia on the plain. Mm -hmm. Priam is duly impressed. Cassandra says it's an omen of disaster. Vicky mutters under her breath. She mutters the Trojan horse. And she's, Cassandra mm -hmm. spotted it. Nobody else noticed. She says, go on, ask her. She knows what it is. It's our doom. And Paris says, I will not have one word said against that horse. <laughs> <laughs> and Troilus says, and neither will I against Cressida. Then here's, I found it a very enjoyable joke. But Cassandra says, will you not? Then woe to the house of Priam, woe to the Trojans. And Paris replies, I'm you're afraid you're a bit late to say woe to the horse. <laughs> I've just given instructions to have it brought into the city. And then we get a live action clip. This is one of those little clips that has survived of the horse being wheeled along. And I have to say for the two plus seasons that I've seen so far of Doctor Who, this is probably one of the best effects that they've done to date. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't even look like a miniature. It, it, it just looks very convincing to me. And the horse itself is quite an interesting interpretation. It's a, it's a very tall, you know, you've seen probably dozens of depictions of the Trojan horse, and sometimes they're kind of small and squat. This is almost giraffe-like. It's uh, tall and thin, and it's convincing. It's a, It probably is a miniature, but it looks like something that some talented guys if you had enough of them, might be able to slap together overnight. <laughs> but it's mm. it's pretty good, but it also has a little bit of rough jankiness to it. You know, a couple of the boards are sticking out a little more than they should. It's a fun thing to look at, and it's also, uh, particularly for this show, it's, um, it's a real good effect. So I'd give it a two thumbs up, or I guess... I guess I should give it one thumbs up, and then you'd be the one to judge the other <laughs> thumb. 
I'll give it a thumb. Yeah, up. it looked good. You know, it's it, Sundry, it's hard to know without the full context what things looked like, but yeah, I think it looks pretty good. So next up, we have Horse of Destruction. So we see workers using ropes to pull the horse into the city, and Cassandra says it's idiocy to bring in the horse. But Paris says it's in the image of one of their gods, so they have to do it. And she insists that it's a trick, and her dreams have told her so. But Paris points out that she was wrong about the Tartar slash temple, and it's brought them nothing but luck. As you mentioned, she foreshadowed this two episodes ago, you know, that her dreams had told her about this gift that would turn out to be a trick. Yeah, and I think it's a clever part of the story because she basically was conflating the TARDIS and the horse, right? And right. so because she already gave them this warning, they're like, yeah, you already said this, you know, and <laughs> yeah. nothing happened, right? Yeah, so I think I'll that's go pretty... back to the well again. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's pretty clever. And Priam, for once, I mean, he always is annoyed with Paris, but now he agrees. And he says, it's luck that the Greeks have removed themselves from their shores and they have peace at last. And they have peace at last, though he admits the arrival of the horse is a bit puzzling. <laughs> <laughs> and Paris says Cressida probably arranged it and the sight of the horse scared the Greeks away. So that's a nice little rationalization. <laughs> Troila asks where Cressida is and he says he's going to go look for her. Cassandra tells her assistant Katerina to go look for Cressida as she doesn't trust the lovesick Troilus. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Vicky finds Stephen's cell in the dungeon and tells him the horse is being brought into the city. She tells him to follow her. I had gotten the impression, and maybe it was just because I, uh, maybe I didn't pay close enough attention, or maybe it was the still pictures, but I got the impression that he was being let out to fend for himself you know, getting out of Troy when Troilus was talking to him before, you know, about, you know, can you fight everybody in Troy or whatever it was he said. So, Inside the horse, Odysseus and the doctor are having a miserable time of it because as it's being pulled along, the horse is rocking back and forth and they're getting kind of ill. And the doctor says, if only it allowed me another day, I could have fit shock absorbers. <laughs> that yeah. was pretty funny. <laughs> you know, I, I picked up on shock absorbers, but I couldn't make out what he said before that. So it's, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and they finally arrive in the city. And Odysseus tells the doctor they now wait without movement or sound. And back in kind of what I call the family room where, you know, Paris and Priam and everybody hang out. Mm, yeah. Paris points out to Cassandra that they brought the horse in and nothing bad has happened. Now, it's been like one minute, so you know, I'm not <laughs> sure that's a really good statement. But she tells him to wait and see. And Vicky and Stephen are hiding in the crowd that's gawking at the horse. And they debate whether the doctor is inside. And it's kind of funny because they have this whole thing. Oh, he must have a plan and he's here to save us and all this. Well, of course, he didn't want to be in the horse. He didn't want, <laughs> he didn't want to be here at all. So, you know, he doesn't have a plan to save them, but they're thinking he must. And then they see that Katerina is looking for Vicky. And Stephen tells her she better go. And besides, Troilus will die of jealousy if he knows she's been with Stephen. <laughs> and she takes offense because she's very fond of Troilus. Stephen tells her that if she's fond of Troilus, she should tell him to get out of Troy, given what's coming. Cressida slash Vicky then returns to Priam and company, and she walks in on Cassandra, insisting that she, Cressida, should be burned <laughs> along with the horse. Mm -hmm. 
And they want to, they now know that Stephen was freed. So they want to know if she freed him. And she kind of, because they know that they were friends. And she kind of wiggles out of that. And Cassandra says that Katerina is going to stay with Cressida. And the family leaves. Vicky wishes for what's going to happen to not happen, which confuses Katerina. And back in the horse, Odysseus tells the doctor he hopes Agamemnon and Achilles will fail so that he gets more of the loot. <laughs> yeah, Odysseus is just kind of a jerk throughout the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of rational. You know. And the doctor wants to leave the horse, but Odysseus won't let him. And back in the family room, Katerina has fallen asleep. Troilus comes in to see Cressida. They embrace, and she asks him to leave the city. He wants to know why. So she lies and says, look, Diomedes is on the plane, and you can go find him and take him prisoner to prove yourself the warrior that you really are. And Troy asks her why she has this concern for Diomedes. And, you know, again, he says, earlier, are the two of you, you know. Cressida <laughs> <But laughs> insists that Diomedes is in the friend zone. <laughs> and Troilus wants to know then why she wants him captured because to be a prisoner of war is considered very bad form <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great line really? and she said Diomedes unarmed and she never asked Troilus to do something that hurt him so he finally agrees and now at dawn the Greeks open the trap door on the horse and drop down a rope and they rappel down it this is another one of those moments where we have uh... Probably a good 10 or 15 seconds of live footage. Yeah, although I think it's faked live footage because there's these weird halos around each person who drops down the road, mm. so I feel like it might have been, you know. Might be a composite maybe. or something. Yeah. Man. And eventually the Doctor and Odysseus come down. The Greeks sneak up behind Trojan guards and dispatch of them, and the Doctor's unhappy to see this. And back on the plane where you can find anybody, Troilus is calling out for Diomedes. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, he comes across Achilles, who tells him, I don't know what you're talking about. Diomedes died a long time ago. <laughs> and Troilus calls out to Achilles for having killed his brother. And now he thinks maybe Cressida is playing him for a fool. Maybe she sent him out here to encounter Achilles and get killed. But... He decides to fight Achilles, though his real goal is to kill Diomedes. And they fight, and Achilles stumbles on a root, and Troilus stabs and mortally wounds him. In the, you know, those subtitles that they show occasionally, they mention that it's his heel that catches on the root, uh, uh, which for Achilles is very significant, you know, because the It's a good Achilles point, because I was wondering why they hadn't used his heel. I missed that. No, so mm, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, wow, he didn't like slice his heel or something. But okay, good point. And you know, I think, well, yeah, it's, the writers again were being kind of clever there. Yeah. So Charles stabs him and mortally wounds him, but Achilles isn't dead yet, and he throws his spear at Troilus and badly wounds him. But then Achilles goes and dies. Troilus gets up and declares his purpose to kill Diomedes in the name of Cressida. And back in Troy, the Greeks open the gates and allow the returned army to flood in. And Paris rushes into the family room and tells them the Greeks were in the horse and their gates are open to the enemy. <laughs> and Cassandra does that tired old, I told you so. <laughs> and Odysseus and some soldiers come upon them. And Odysseus tells the soldiers to kill them. 
And back in the square near the TARDIS, Vicky and Katarina are there. And Vicky calls out to the doctor and they reunite. And she wants to talk to him, but he puts her off. He's concerned about finding Stephen. So Vicky sends Katarina to find him. And Vicky and the doctor go into the TARDIS. And as we'll see, the assumption here is they have some kind of conversation that we don't see. Yeah. And now we see Stephen fighting Trojans and he gets wounded in the arm. But a Greek soldier saves him, and then Katerina finds him. And now we see Vicky leaving the TARDIS, and she hugs it. We don't actually see her hug it, but that's in the description. Yeah. And the doctor opens the door and watches her go. Yeah, and I, I should have, I, I didn't know the meaning of it or the import of it right now. Then I probably should have figured it out. If I, if I were a faster thinker, <laughs> I might have, but... Uh, We'll see what that all ends up being. Yeah. So in the family room, Odysseus, everyone else has been killed, but Odysseus has spared Cassandra, saying she's reserved for Agamemnon to take care of. And she tells Odysseus it'll be 10 more years before he gets home, which, <laughs> you know, implies a sequel, anyone? <laughs> uh, but, you know, he doesn't listen to her. <laughs> so, and the soldiers drag her out. And then the doctor is ushering Stephen into the TARDIS, and Odysseus shows up and claims the TARDIS is part of his loot. <laughs> and the doctor tells him off and goes into the TARDIS, and the TARDIS disappears. And now Odysseus is thinking, well, is he Zeus? Like, he's a little confused <laughs> about it. Yeah, that would have been a fun moment to see in, uh, in live action. Mm. And back on the plane, Troilus is torturing himself over whether Cressida betrayed him. And Cressida finds him and tells him that Diomedes is gone. She realizes he's hurt and expresses concern. She insists that she didn't betray him and that she belongs here now with him, if he'll have her. She says, there's only us now. <laughs> he says, well, we have nowhere to go. And she says, they'll find somewhere. And then, in a very nice stroke of luck, his cousin Aeneas rides up on horseback. <laughs> But Troilus is still distraught. He says there's nothing left. And Cassandra says, yes, there is. There's us. We can build another Troy. <laughs> and, uh, well, well, we'll have some more to say about that shortly. <laughs> and in the TARDIS, Katerina is looking after Stephen, who is very sick and delirious after being wounded. Katerina tells the doctor that she has died and is now on the journey through the beyond. Because, see, you know, Rashley says, look, we're, we're not in Troy, you know, <laughs> so we must be in the beyond. Yeah. Well, definitely a, a weird kind of living space that she hasn't seen before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the doctor tells her to look after Stephen and remember, you must be, call me doctor. <laughs> so that was a little funny. And then he talks to himself and he says, I'm not a God. And I kind of feel like He's sort of trying to convince himself. <laughs> it could be. I, I, I sort of had the opposite interpretation yeah. that he was, um, that it was a moment of genuine humility and that yeah. having, having posed as Zeus, it was maybe, you know, sort of an atonement of sorts, but, uh, but, but yeah. you could be, it, you could no. be right too. I think you that, could take you know, it either a way. Point. It could go either way. Yeah. And he worries about what to do for Stephen. And he says, you know, we must stop somewhere to help him. <laughs> and it's the end of the story. 
next episode, the nightmare began. Yeah, that then, doesn't sound promising, does it? <laughs> yeah, and that begins the 12th episode reconstruction of an, the Daleks master plan. Oh, okay. Uh, and so we, we will see. So, you know, personally, overall, especially the second time I watched it, I enjoyed this reconstruction. We'll see how we feel after a 12 episode reconstruction. <laughs> but I think that. Not knowing, because I know nothing about the next story. I've never seen it. I haven't read about it. Hmm. The theory you had last time with the mission to the unknown may be true, which is maybe they're going to stop on that planet and find that tape recorder that says what the Daleks are up to. So we will have to see. Yeah, although that would be an unusual thing from what we've seen so far. I mean, so far, I can't off the top of my head, think of any time where the TARDIS has returned to the place where it well, already Well, remember, was. the TARDIS was never there. Well, it was close enough to see the planet. I mean, they, they yeah. were viewing it on the, the Yeah, which is a little bit of a continuity problem, right? Like, because there's sort of the implication they were going to go there. Um, but they didn't actually land on the planet. Yeah. So we shall see. I don't know. Maybe, maybe something completely different will happen. I have no idea. <laughs> So what did you think of our first reconstruction? I mean, in terms of reconstruction. I actually really liked it. I, uh, uh, you know, it's obviously would be, it's not as ideal as having the whole show, but as the next best thing or a next best thing combined with, you know, some of the animations that we've seen, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I thought the, the people who put, put the reconstruction together, obviously, uh, put some thought and some effort into it. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was fun. The, the, as I said, the lack of captions, uh, you know, aside yeah. from uh, the occasional explanatory captions that, that the makers put in, the lack of subtitles was a little bit of a hindrance for me because stuff would sort of zoom by me sometimes and I'd have to, you know, either try to guess from context or rewind it and listen again or whatever. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't have any objections at this point to, uh, to watching more of them. <laughs> yeah, and as the person who kind of said, I'm not going to watch one or, you know, we're not going to recommend them. I agree. I enjoyed this again, especially the second time I watched it. I think it helped a lot that it was very well written. Mm -hmm. And so you could just enjoy the dialogue. Um, I think that, you know, a badly written story would probably be kind of torturous to watch. Yeah, or <laughs> one of those where there's like uh, 45 seconds of silence while somebody's doing something to something. Mm -hmm. and, but we'll cross those bridges when we come to them, I guess. <laughs> okay, so on um, the worth watching, I mean, you know, again, probably obvious, but what do you think about, uh, is it worth watching? I would say so. Actually, as Doctor Who stories go, I thought this was one of the more enjoyable ones. Uh, I, uh, I liked there were the little bits of humor they threw in, the, the characters, there was a Enough distinct characters that they were all interesting, but not not so many that that it just befuddled me. And uh, you know, from my half-assed recollections of Greece and Rome and all that, it was fun that I could pick up on some of the some of the things that were going on and some of the ways that the story was uh, adapted to 
the Doctor Who setting. Yeah, it was just it was just a fun story uh, overall. I'm uh, it was definitely for me worth watching. Yeah, and at a point where technically they were supposed to be away from historicals. I mean, obviously it's mythology, not history, but mm-hmm. it really is a really well done one. And I would, you know, I think it's it's up there with the Aztecs in terms of the historicals that we've seen so far. Yeah, and and at least to some extent, I, I you know, there's probably always going to be a lot of debate about uh, how much actual history is in the Iliad, but I believe that the actual city of Troy was discovered by archaeologists, finally, something they believe to be Troy. So probably the Iliad had some element of history in it, but how much, I cannot say. Well, in terms of mythology, one of the things I thought was really clever and it made the story better when I read about it was the whole Troilus and Cressida. Now, of course, I knew the names Troilus and Cressida, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know the story. Yeah, so that was people. my situation too. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, so many people listening probably know. But what uh, that story, so first of all, uh, Cressida was not part of the mythology. That character was invented by a poet hundreds and hundreds of years later. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, that story is about a triangle between her and Troilus and Diomedes. And the way the story goes is that she had promised herself to Troilus, but then she left him and went to Diomedes. And so what she represents in mythology is, you know, that terrible woman who betrays you. And that's kind of what she comes back to. And I think... So, so two, I think, really interesting things about this story. One is that they managed to integrate all of that. So Steve and his Diomedes and Troilus keeps thinking that she has a relationship with Diomedes and is, you know, jealous of her for that. Mm-hmm. But they also change her story here, right? They make her faithful in the end to Troilus. Mm-hmm. Unlike the mythological story that makes her kind of a slut. Right. And uh, if there had been any of the people in Troy who had written any kind of records about it, they might well have written the classical, you know, that she was a betrayer. Yeah, And uh, so it's just we're treated to a view outside of all that. <laughs> you know, we get to see what actually happened. Yeah. And this comes back to me feeling like, you know, yes, the BBC considered this a children's series with this kind of thing. And that kind of complexity of mixing mythology and the story, I feel like, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, no, a kid might've been familiar with some of the elements in mythology, but understanding Hmm. that sort of love triangle and how they played with it here and everything. No, this is an adult story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is definitely, well, you know, we see that, in a lot of modern animation, like uh, like some of the Pixar stuff, that's it's nominally for the kids, but if you're an adult, yeah, there's a few nods to you here and there. Yeah, and this this writer who did this, I I, I haven't learned his name yet. You mentioned Donald it Cotton. earlier, Don yeah. Cotton. Obviously, this is a different type of writer than say Terry Nation. You know, I mean, we're <laughs> getting a whole different different experience out of this. And I, I, I like 
I, I liked this story a lot. I wouldn't mind seeing a lot more of this style of story. Right. And it's kind of, uh, it reminds me, it didn't occur to me until you were just speaking about the Troilus and Cressida now, but this kind of reminds me of the Flashman series that I, I may have mentioned before, but there are a series of books that are about a, uh, a guy who becomes one of the greatest heroes of the Victorian age, you know, from the British perspective, uh, he's a British soldier, but, but we find out reading his memoirs that he was actually a, a cad and a bully and a <laughs> scoundrel. And, uh, he manages to turn up in practically every major event of the Victorian era. And, uh, sometimes he'll appear in actual historical documents as, uh, an unidentified person. <laughs> Yeah, ultimately for me on the worst watching thing is I actually think this is the best kind of early Doctor Who story. And, you know, it would, I really wish, say, that University would remake this instead of Mission to the Unknown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet they could do a, I bet they could do a number on this. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's such a nice story. Really well done, really well written. And so, again, I have no idea. I know nothing about the Daleks' master plan. That's what's coming up. Twelve episodes, and we're going to spend most of a month <laughs> talking about it. So I hope we like it. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Join us next week to oh, find out. Can I throw one more thing in Absolutely. here? I wanted to mention um, about Aeneas, who shows up at the end of the last episode here to uh, – meet up with uh, Troilus and Cressida, or Troilus and Vicky, that Aeneas, I, I, I looked in Wikipedia to make sure that I remembered this right, but the Aeneid was a poem that was written not by Homer, but it was written under the Emperor Augustus by Virgil, and it was kind of a make Rome great again kind of poem, you know, where, uh, you know, to inspire civic virtue and uh, bring bring back the good old days and so forth. So the Aeneid, in the Aeneid, Aeneas actually ends up being the founder of Rome after the Trojan War and all that stuff is mm. behind him. So when Vicky says, we'll build another Troy, you know, maybe she's going to be one of the founders of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to think about anyway. Oh, and I should, while we're on the subject of Vicky, you know, it's... I was going to ask you about this, yes. Yeah, so yeah, it's... Uh, uh, I don't know that we mentioned it explicitly, but this is, I presume, the last we're going to see of Vicky. Yeah. This is her departure episode. She hugged the TARDIS and had her little conversation with the doctor. So it's 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 kind of similar to uh, when Susan left. You know, she had her little private conversation in the TARDIS with the doctor. And that was why I said I should have picked up on it maybe faster. But yeah, this is uh, another companion down. And I... Actually, in the past few weeks, this thought occurred to me, it hadn't previously, is that while getting rid of companions on a regular basis, as it seems to be doing, I don't know if that's something that continues throughout the series, but I, I think <laughs> think maybe it will be, because from a practical standpoint, that affords you a lot of opportunities for surprises. Like if people yeah. go in knowing, oh, he's going to be around at the end of the episode. Well, that's one thing. But if you know he actually could die or he could depart mm -hmm. or any number of things could happen to this character. 
that, that adds a little more stakes to it as a viewer. So, uh, so that's good. Now, Vicky, I have to admit, I never entirely warmed up to her. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's nothing against the actress. I, I think she was fine. I just, I don't know, the character just didn't quite yeah, gel they, with they me. Yeah, they never found anything interesting about her character. Hmm. She does have some some enthusiasm, and she does... Uh, as she pointed out in the in these episodes, uh, she does like adventure just for the fun of adventure. So she she has her good qualities. I just she never grew on me the way that Susan did. Mm-hmm. But a good run. So uh, farewell, Vicky. Uh, Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see what we think of Katarina and how long she lasts. No, no right. uh, spoilers there. <laughs> okay. Okay, so join us next week, and we'll start on our month-long journey, (laughs) the Daleks' master plan. All right. Okay, and uh, I'm to interject here because I, I what I started to talk about at the beginning, and I don't want to forget at the end, um, was since we're watching reconstructions, um, I'm thinking maybe uh, for the end of this season, we should go back and watch the ones we didn't mm, see the originally. Crusades and the Marco Polo, and yeah. those were the only two in the first season, right? Yeah, I think those may be the only two. Maybe it's the third. We'll have to, to go back and see this. And we're not thinking. And I thought, you know, that way we sort of complete all of Art Knowles since we're doing these. Yeah. And then what I will probably do is go and insert, like, uh, you know, a little thing in the episodes before those to say, hey, you should go listen to this if you want to hear them in order. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. That's so, a good idea. You fool! 